Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss interesting topic about customers, how you can sell more and reply to questions that customers might ask. Why? How? What? And something like this. I have an awesome guest and expert in this niche, Marcela Saluk. How are you? Hey, how are you, Anatoly? Uh, great to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know, it's it's a pleasure to discuss such topics with experts. Uh, before we start, introduce a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you decided to take this topic. Uh, well, my background is long. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, I, I began in, in advertising on the creative side. I spent eight years on the creative side. I won two Adi Awards here. Then I switched to media. In between, I uh, had a lot of account planning experience, customer insight experience. And then um, at the end, I just merged everything into being the international media director of Fulcon and Belding, which is one of the 10 largest agencies in the world. So I travel all over the world and then we created CEO analytics because my business partner, Adi and I are like, I don't know, intimately interested in how consumers make decisions. I, mm-hmm. I think it is a driving force uh, for Adi and for me too, you know, like how do you make a decision? And of course, the second part of that is, and how do I influence your making that decision? So mm-hmm. for me, it's basic. So that's how yeah. I want off here. Okay, got it. Okay, um, it's interesting, uh, you know, because um, many brands use a classical way to learn about their customers, to talk to them, uh, to ask on social media. And uh, I think that um, many other brands, they usually check out some analytics, online studies. Uh, uh, which way is better? For example, if you choose uh, one way uh, to learn your customers. Well, it really depends on the number of customers. Mm-hmm. If you have clients, let's say you have, you know, like 20 clients, the best thing is just to talk to them. Mm-hmm. But if you have, say, 100,000 clients or more, like, you know, like a fast food restaurant or, you know, like a, you know, like a Super Midas or whatever, you know, like those kind of stores that deal with thousands of customers, there, there's really, there's still the need to talk to them. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you don't know what they're thinking about and you have no clue of anything. So we studied hard and we feel that CEO analytics in doing something that we call, or that is called disassociated conjoint analysis, has really hit the key. If we go back really briefly, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, if we go back into the original you know, research, focus groups, Focus mm-hmm. groups are terrible. I mean, it's just like 10 guys or 20 guys. You feed them pizza. They're there for two hours. They fight. And then you're going to make a decision after talking with 20 people. Nah. Then the next one is, you know, the uh, on a scale of one to five, you know, but it's got its drawbacks. And the main drawbacks are two. One, you put all of the options in the same place. So normal people, not machines, normal people. We look at everything and we say, okay, this one I really care about, this one I hate. Everything else just falls in the middle. So you Mm -hmm. wind up with a whole bunch of things that are all of them scored the same. 3.4, 3.5, 3.6. So you cannot make a decision. And then the best, the worst part of that is that it doesn't measure how relevant it is. Let me give you an example. Uh, When I lived in Hoboken in New Jersey, AMP supermarkets sent me a research survey. And it said, you know, on a scale of one to five, how do you rate our cashiers? Five, they're great people, all of them. They smile, they're nice, they're pleasant. They don't steal from you. I mean, great people. Ask me how important the cashier is in the whole transaction. Couldn't care less. I honestly couldn't care less. So Mm -hmm. you got a perfect score on something that really doesn't matter to me, but Maybe you had a lower score on something that really matters to me, like the width of, it, of the aisles or, you know, the light or whatever. So the scales of one to five, they don't measure anything, essentially. And then a lot of people do metrics and we do metrics. We, as a matter of fact, Adi is, you know, comes from the metrics part and I myself come from the metrics part. 
the only problem with the metrics, especially with sales data, is that you understand what and when and how much and how often, but you don't know why. So it could be that, you know, 100 people show up in your dealership and they buy BMWs. I don't know. Well, you don't know why. So how do you sell 120 if you don't know why? So, you know, like you're destined, if you only look at sales data, you're destined to only look at that data, but it is very inconclusive. So we ask people the why, and we do it in a very uh, unique way. We use slider surveys that only present questions one by one by one by one. So you cannot really guess which one is better or worse or which one you care about or not. And they're very random. So we could have a slider that only says, you know, what is what do you prefer, dogs or cats? Oh, yeah, okay, dogs, okay, great. Mm -hmm. And what do you prefer, oranges or apples? Okay, oranges, okay, great. But the next question might be, what do you prefer, apples or dogs? And that makes you stop for a moment, so there's no lying in the survey or whatever, like you, you don't even know what it's about. So you say, okay, dogs rather than apples. <laughs> but at the end, through all of the questions and using our own algorithms, we find out what is really important to you. And then we go back to our client and say, this is it. And we do this by segment because we can, you know, we can segment all of the information on the demographic space. So we know what women who are 18 to 24 like and men, you know, those kind of things. To, to give you a really funny example, which I tested in real life, by the way. So we did one for a fast food uh, restaurant. And we found that men who don't have any kids under 18 at home go to a fast food restaurant. Apart from the taste of the food, which is always important, the second most important part was parking. On me, it works. I don't go to a place unless I can park nearby. I'm not going to walk, you know five blocks to eat a hamburger not gonna happen but then i asked a few of my friends who are my same age like my financial advisor my cpa everybody like you know how important is parking to you oh very important i mean like if i don't park i i just don't go so we do find out that for those kind of people parking is key then however if you look at women who are i don't know 35 years old have a kid blah 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 moms to them, the parking is not as important as having a safe place for their kids or a place for them to play. So if you're the owner of the restaurant, it could be that, you know, you could develop a promotion for, you know, the 50 plus or a 55 plus and say, hey, we'll pay the first hour of your street parking if you don't have any parking. But now, you know, and that grabs their attention and you can get more of them. So that's how we ask the why. Why are you making this decision? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like your example. You know, I remember uh, from my personal experience, for example, if I drive with my wife to any places <laughs> and uh, I can uh, tell her, okay, we can stop here. Uh, but she always deny, no, you can uh, uh, drive much closer, 100 meters, you know, 100 meters. We can walk, you know, much faster than I, I will search for this place. No, no, we need to do it because, yeah, uh, it means we are different. Yeah, we are different customers <laughs> for businesses. Yes, uh, but for example, one of the things about our surveys, our surveys are 100% cloud-based mm -hmm. because of the sliders. It doesn't really matter the language. After all, we know the code. So it, to us, the question is irrelevant. We know the code and we have everything coded, right? So we look at everything mathematically. Mm -hmm. The human interface is the question. What is more important to you, dogs or cats? To us, it is the movement of the slider, the position of the slider on item AA versus BB. We don't care really what the question is. What happens is, let's say we wanted to do the survey in another country. We mm -hmm. just, you know, create the questions, translate them, put them in there, and the algorithm takes over. So that was one, one of the key 
aspects of when we created the, the, the survey, we really wanted that. And who knows? It could be absolutely different in in New York. In New York, nobody expects parking. Seriously. Yeah. People yeah. won't. So it could be like a completely different thing. Our survey would find out right away. Mm -hmm. so, and we can just do this from all over. Actually, we did this uh, with a TV station. Mm -hmm. With Hola TV, we created a survey to guess not the programming that people were watching, which, by the way, would have been great for them because they did not have ratings in every one of the countries. We wanted to know what programs and genres people would want to watch mm -hmm. so we can predict. And we created a survey that was published at the same time everywhere in Latin America. Uh, we collected like around 2,000 respondents, which is huge. And we hit it off. According to me, but I'm the sales guy, our accuracy was 80%. According to Adi, who is the engineer, our accuracy was 70%. According to our client, it was way better than the programming director. What happened was we also discovered what programs were really popular in every one of the countries, something that they didn't have information for because there's no ratings, let's say, in Salvador or in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. or like that. So that's the thing. Our survey can happen everywhere. And we do discover the differences. You know, like in Argentina, they like this. In Chile, they, have, they, they like that. One of the interesting things we discovered, the programming director was going more into the, uh, you know, talk show format. But for this specific station, royalty was really big and the audience loved red carpets. They love them. So we told them, hey, offer your clients the equivalent. So if you have the Home Depot, offer them the orange carpet. And mm -hmm. if you have the whatever, the green carpet, but like, you know, so we find those kind of hidden insights that allow people to really improve on the way that they get customers. Yeah, good. Interesting insights, you know. Okay, uh, I have the basic question. How to start learning your customers? How? Yes, how to start learning? Because, you know, for example, uh, uh, let me clarify. For example, I have clients uh, who can tell me, uh, you can start from online studies, from tools, uh, from talking to customers. Um, uh, how to choose the right way to learn your customers? Well, the um, so we always start the same way. We, we meet with the client and we ask the, the, the client, in your experience, what do you think are the key factors for your customers? So let's take another one that we, we did. We did this one for a... Um, for a diet company, a, a, a very, very, very smart woman who owns a, a weight reduction company, right? And she does something called emotional tapping. Emotional tapping is like, you know, when, mm -hmm. when you're nervous, you tap here, you tap here, you tap uh -huh. here. And it's really great. It reduces your anxiety and all of that. So she started talking about it. We wrote some of them. And then we went back. We thought about the industry. Then we created a questionnaire that had, I, I honestly don't know how many questions because everything is divided so that we randomize it so that mm -hmm. the survey never takes over three minutes. So we had all of this. And Adi and I decided, hey, we're going to add stuff that we know works on the diet business. Using the power of your mind and, you know, like a couple of things. Most people, when they go on a diet, they want the diet to work really fast. For example, me, I wanted my diet to work really fast. So in one year, me personally, I went from 187 to 137. Actually, mm -hmm. in 10 months. So I, people want that working fast. People want the permanent reaction. So we tested all of that. Get this. Oh, and then we did the survey. Uh, we emailed it to about 96,000 people in her database. So we got a really good response and all of that. Hmm. Well, turns out that the we we broke the rules a bit. We offered people a little incentive if they would give us the uh, the email address so we could follow up. And we also asked them, you know, have you spent any money with this specific you know client uh, company mm -hmm. in the last twelve months or not? Meaning active clients or passive or non-active clients anymore. So we found that. 
all of the active clients specifically value access to her, a coach, more like a life person. Then when we looked at the emails, you know, she said, oh, yeah, yeah, like this one is a great customer. This one spends X amount of money. This one spends X amount of money. Then when we looked at all of the people who had not spent any money with her in the, <clears throat> in the past 12 months, we saw that after the first three things that are the same for any diet, you know, I want it to be permanent, to be fast and all of that, the difference was abysmal. Her customers really valued access to her, her way of tapping, <clears throat> all of that. People who didn't spend any more money after the first, you know, buy, they wanted to use the power of their mind, blah, 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 completely different. So we told her and her partners, her partners actually were the ones who hired us because they wanted to 10x the company. Hey, you're going at it the wrong way. <laughs> you're doing this, but you should be doing that. And if you do that, then you will grow the company, you know, 10 times. At the end, she said, you know, I'm very comfortable. I am making more money than ever in my life. I'm not working too much. I mean, she was making way into the middle six figures by working 10 hours a week, maybe. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm living the life. I don't care about anybody. So I don't want to I don't want to change my entire modus operandi so I can 10x the company. What am I going to do with that much money if I cannot enjoy life, which is a valid point, by the way, it's a total valid point. But we proved the point that we could differentiate between this one and this one. So the way we learn our clients is we first think about it. We outline the, the, uh, the survey questions. We add a few that we think on our own or with a client and then we just launched the survey. So we, we learn in real life. We learn from our customers by asking them directly what is more important to them. Yeah, uh, you know, I agree with this approach. Uh, but, you know, okay, uh, if we are talking about uh, a new business, they have no email base, have no customers, and uh, will go to launch a new product, uh, very good product. Uh, how to learn customers in that way? Well, it really depends again on the business, right? If the business is very B2B, mm -hmm. there's not much we can do. It is what it is. I mean, uh, they have a phrase in Mexico. When I, I lived in Mexico two times, mm -hmm. they have a phrase in Mexico, which I love, which is one cannot be a gold coin to please everybody. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. You know, if, if you're B2B, not much we can do. My only advice would be, you know, talk to potential people who might, you know, mm -hmm. use your business or not, you know, do it in social media, whatever. Uh, not much I can do. We, we are a volume business. So we hardly ever deal with startups because they don't have enough of a base. And to, to be honest, I mean, we're not cheap. We're not expensive, but we're not cheap. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not you know, $5,000 mm -hmm. at all. So many startups, to be honest, can't afford us. And it is true. Many startups don't have, um, you know, enough customers. So the only other thing that you can do if you're going to be a B to C, but you don't have enough clients still read about your industry. And, you know, like you have to dedicate the, the time. If, if you don't dedicate the time, to know about your business and you don't dedicate the time to really understand about your customers and all of that, then it might be that you're better being in some other business. So that's one of the things, I mean, like the way we have learned about our own business, which our business is B2B. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we don't deal with the public. We sell to customers and we sell to, you know, companies. We asked everybody, what is your main concern? And the main concern that we found everywhere was people are looking at data, but the data can only get them so far. By the way, social media, which is very interesting. I, I just had a conversation with uh, like an industry, um, a big industry platform. It, it is essentially like, you know, like it's one of those councils and then they have everybody joining and all of that. And they have this um, this outside consultant, and she said, you know, well, blah blah blah, focus groups. And we said, eh, 
Nobody does focus groups anymore, really. How do you find what is important at that level? You look at social media. The only problem with social media is that it can tell you certain things. What is worrying people? So for example, using social media, and, and I, I have a company that I use that uses a AI-driven social media listening. Mm -hmm. So this is not, you know, me reading, you know, a hundred posts. This is an AI bot actually reading 10 million posts. Big. So we did a little, you know, pitch. We wanted to pitch uh, Subway sandwiches because they're redefining all of their branding and all of that. And we found very interesting that the number one problem that Subway has today, right now, is the tuna sandwich. There's so many lawsuits against Subway because, you know, like the tuna sandwich has been proven that it has no DNA of any tuna in the sandwich, meaning you don't know what is in there, but it's certainly not tuna. Mm -hmm. So we found this by looking at something like 5 million posts in a year. So, so you can go into social media to sort of get a really big, broad you know, vision of what it is that is worrying people. So you don't need focus groups at all. But at the end, you do. if you're doing you know, B2C, at the end, you really, really need to talk to customers and find out why. So for example, why is the tuna sandwich such a concern? Why not the chicken sandwich? Or the meatball sandwich. I don't know. We haven't been hired by Subway, so I, I guess I'll never find out. But it's an interesting question. Like, why is a tuna sandwich such an iconic problem that they have? And they have been sued all over because of the tuna sandwich. Very strange. Yeah. It, it's no. a very interesting business. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, interesting. For example, if... Uh, I'm using tools. I, I can see the average data. But if I talk to one customer, uh, a few customers, uh, they might uh, confuse some data, you know, to provide different insights. Uh, but um, many marketers, um, I read a few books uh, that you need to talk to customers, to spend time with customer, uh, even a day, a few days to talk to them. But um, uh, it means like you need to know your buying persona and find this perfect customer who can share all this insights. How to find uh, which customers can bring uh, the average data? Uh, because if I talk to one customer, I'm not sure that I can get all insights that I need. I totally agree with you. Actually, I hate the word personas. Mm -hmm. Okay, personas to me, is for people who cannot really grasp statistics. So I never do personas. Mm -hmm. I do statistics. But you're right. Let's say you talk to 10 of my neighbors, okay? What was the number one worry of one of my neighbors, Matt? Three houses to my left. One day I'm talking to him and he just bought a McLaren 720p. Number oh, one worry in life. Oh my God, there is one of our neighbors with a McLaren too. I am not the only McLaren in the whole area. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. When, when you cross San Vicente, you know, like three houses up, another guy's got a McLaren 560 this time, but it is exactly your color. It's black on black. Oh my God, this is terrible. You got to be really, uh, what can I say? Adult about mm -hmm. what consumers you talk to. If you talk to 10 of my neighbors, you will find that the lowest class car that is sold in America is the BMW 3 Series. Because except for mine, which I just traded mine, I, I had a 335. Every one of my neighbors seems to have a BMW 3. I mean, all over. It's like all over. I changed mine because it was so common. I, I, I got an Alfa Romeo because I'm the only Alfa Romeo actually in my neighborhood. So I, there's less Alfa Romeos than McLarens in my neighborhood. But it is the wrong approach because the number one selling car in the United States is the Ford or vehicle anyway, mm -hmm. is the Ford F-150. None of my neighbors has a pickup truck. It is not that kind of neighborhood. So you got to be really careful.
to talk to many consumers of many different backgrounds. And we have found out to, to be true. So for example, our surveys are meant to be taken by like 2,000 people. And 2,000 are your customers, essentially. So we publish every, everywhere where your customers are. So your website, your social media, your email, you know, all of that. Because it is very important to get entire backgrounds. But it is also very important to understand the statistics of it. So if you see that, I don't know, playing the guitar is very important. But it is only very important to 2% of your customers. It is useless. And you should immediately discard it. So, so it's very important to keep, you know, like a statistical representative sample of your customers so that when you make a decision, you do make an important, you know, an intelligent, informed decision. So I had that once. I I, I went over to take over uh, an advertising agency in New York where I was both the VP for media and the VP for strategic planning. They had gone through a lot of problems. And I think I was like the sixth media director that they had hired in six months. Mm -hmm. So the owner of the agency called me up and says, listen, I mean, I really need help. This is you know, going downhill. And it was, of course, the quality of the thinking of some of the people. So I went in and they had a media supervisor kind of guy, you know, like kind of grown up and all of that. And then we did an analysis for one of their clients and it said, and he said that, oh, guitar playing is, you know, over the, over the top. I mean, the index is like 900. Whoa, let me see that. And it affected, yeah, 1% of the population. So 1% of, or like 2% of the cost of the client's customer base played the guitar and it was very important versus 1% for the general population. So the index was 900. And I told him like, this is stupid. Who cares about 1%? Seriously, unless you can prove to me that the 1% really affects your business you know tremendously you're making the wrong decision for the wrong group let's talk about the 50 percent that think that the location of the place is key even though the index is way lower they only index like 15 percent over the uh, population or whatever so you cannot talk to one customer and i i, I joked about that i i I launched General Motors, not relaunched, launched General Motors. Mm -hmm. I was the media director that launched General Motors. And I was kidding around with them when they said, like, I know how to sell 39,000 cars, which is what we did. I cannot sell one Rolls Royce. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, what do you tell a guy who's going to drop half a million, right? But that guy is unique, unique, unique. The 39,000 people who are going to make a decision to buy one of the general motor cars in Argentina versus buying another car, those I understand mathematically. And that, that is key. That's why I would never talk to only one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about competitors. For example, yeah, we can learn our customers and provide what they want to get, but uh, we can, uh, you know, uh, it's possible that competitors have the same unique seller proposition. How to start learning them and compare with uh, the average data that we need to provide for our customers? So that, that's super interesting because everybody has the same thing. Oh, we don't have any competitors. And that's bullshit. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if, I'm, if I can say <laughs> bullshit okay. on the radio, but it is wrong. We do have competitors and we have competitors at two levels. Okay. The most important level for us which is a real competitor is what else could our client buy instead of us, which is a fair competitor. And that includes all of the focus groups and that includes all of the scales of one to five and all of that. Actually me personally, outside of the uh, company, I was hired by another advertising agency to analyze a survey that they did in, in, in a tourist town in, in Florida. And when I looked at the survey, I, I told the owners of the agency, this is nasty. This is really terrible. Like the questions are completely stupid. Do you feel that X town is more feminine or masculine? Who cares? Seriously, can you prove that people care? 
So, but the client, in fact, had paid $20,000 for that survey. So that is the first level of competitors we have, which is anything else that could be hired instead of us. That's similar to the famous Coca-Cola presentation that Goizueta did, where he said, everything, you know, Coca-Cola competitors, anything liquid that you can put in your stomach is our competitor. And mm -hmm. he, you know, he proved that point. He said, you know, like we are 2% of all of the liquid occasions in the world to grow the company twice. We only have to be 4%, that's it. So that's the first competitor. The second competitor is a competitor that might be smaller than we are, but that provides us a service that is similar in finding really good insights. And we do have competitors. Uh, I'm not going to name them, but there is a competitor that offers everything we offer and more, and much more actually, to similar clients. The key difference is that if you want to talk to them, you better be prepared to spend 60000 just to you know, turn it on. And if you want to talk to us, well, you can turn us on for 15000 or 20000 So it is a competitor intellectually, but they're much more expensive because they're a bigger company and all of that. So that's one. There are other competitors. Uh, there's one that I'll name because I actually like them. Uh, they're called Inzeta, Inzeta Analytics. And they don't provide what we provide, but then they have AI bots that they can let loose on the data itself to try to find better patterns and all of that. So that was, that's very interesting. There's another competitor, which funny enough, uh, are friendly, which has a completely different thing. They developed um, something like 4,000 algorithms, completely mm -hmm. just algorithms, right? So in order for them to work, what they do is they go to any problem, they get the data, whatever data you have, and they throw the 4,000 algorithms, all of them, at the problem. Of the 4,000 algorithms, 3,900 will not work. Mm -hmm. But 100 will work. Then they take those 100 and they figure out which three or four better predict the data, better explain the data. And they say, okay, well, these three or four really predict the data very well. So we're going to use the underlying assumptions of the algorithms to say, this is the business model. It's, I, I, it's not an elegant solution. This is like having many horsepower, you know, in, in a car. Yeah, you can just put more horsepower and you go faster. There's better ways to do it. But it is a very intriguing solution, actually. I mean, like, you take 4,000 algorithms and you, bah, you throw them at a place. So... Yeah, there are competitors. Uh, I think, however, we are the only ones using this associated conjoint analysis, the sliders one by one, the triple randomization, the algorithms. I, I think we're the only ones. But there are three or four different companies in, in the US that offer not equal, but like similar approaches to understanding the why. And we consider them to be competitors of course and at some point who knows we might even reach an agreement with one of them to you know be integrated with them but yeah it's however at, at the level we're talking about there's not that many I mean, it, it isn't as if we were doing i don't know databases like everybody's got a database everybody there's ten thousand database softwares out there but there's only maybe five or six similar to us out there so I tell Ali, you know, are we very, very happy if we can get, you know, 10, 12 customers, uh, you know, they give us a nice yearly income, we kind of grow. I mean, I don't have to be the biggest in the market. I just want to have enough money to live, you know, well and, you know, have a, mm -hmm. a pleasant work atmosphere and have something that is intellectually challenging for me. But yeah, there are, yeah. Uh, tr trust me, I, I don't believe in not competitive <laughs> at all. I'm, I'm very realistic about it. Yeah, I think Amazon uses the approach uh, customer oriented, for example, Bloomberg competitors oriented. It depends on the companies. But, you know, I, I like your approach. For example, Google provides, uh, I don't remember, it's like a hundred uh, uh, thousand tests uh, each year and only three thousand of them uh, are their new algorithms. That means most of them uh, fail. But that's okay, you know. <laughs> I think that uh, without testing, you can't know what works exactly for you. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah Amazon is a very interesting concept. I, I, I have a few friends who have Amazon mm -hmm. stores, okay? Wow, it is quite the experience. Now, Amazon provides you all of the sales data in the world. Well, Amazon knows all of the sales data. They don't provide it to, to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, let, let, let's begin right there, okay? Amazon may share a little bit of the data that affects your store, but Amazon is not going to give you the data. They keep it. So that's a big problem for you as a, as a store owner. Mm -hmm. Then the second part is Amazon does give you that, but it doesn't give you the why. So let's take a really funny example of a project that I was um, collaborating with, with a company that is partnered to ours, which does databases. So this company makes... Um, some, they make funnels so women can pee standing up. Very, very, like, but they make a living. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not my kind of product, but they make a living. The issue is we know how many are sold and when and, you know, six packs or whatever, right? So we know that. But we never know why. Is a woman buying it because the woman is going camping and she doesn't want to squat? in like a whole bunch of plants that she has never seen in her life. That could be one. Or she's going out and, you know, they're all camping and, you know, with guys and girls and all of that. And she doesn't want to squat with, you know, 10 other guys around. That could be another one. Or is this like a sports where women are in a hurry, whatever, I don't, I, we don't know, or women, I don't know. So the problem is we know what is selling and we don't know why they're selling. The the clusters that were formed using the data, they're not really meaningful. Like I, I was telling our partner there, listen, so you have the six clusters, except for the fact that one cluster buys a lot and another cluster doesn't buy a lot. And one cluster buys more over time and another. Who are these people? Like, you don't know. You don't even know. I mean, you, you think they're female because the product is for females, but it could be anything. And then, you don't know if they're old, young, married, not married, white, black, brown, purple, pink, green. You don't know shit about it. So you don't know. We only The only thing we know is that they sell. That's it. So that is the problem with the Amazon thing. They, they tell you more or less some of the information, but that's it. By the way, I have another friend who has a uh, cheese and yogurt company that sells on Amazon. And she sells overall, uh, I think it's like $20 million uh, of merchandise, not through Amazon only, but like all over, right? So she said, well, I'm selling whatever, 3 million, 4 million in Amazon. And, you know, like this, and these are the SKUs that are moving the most and all of that. So, okay, Maria Elena, that's really great. What do they use the, uh, the yogurt for? Because if you're ordering yogurt over, you know, Amazon, instead of going to the supermarket, they're still going to get there like a day late. And, you know, it must be some other use. Like, what are you going to yeah. do with, you know, 24 little yogurt packets? Is this for a school? Is this for a large home? Is this for an office? Like, do you know? No. Okay. So now you don't know. Could you sell more or less? Or can you increase the price because somebody thinks it is important? Whatever? No, I don't know. Okay. So you don't know. So you do know a, a few things. Yeah, I'm selling $3 million and I'm selling, you know, 24 cases of little yogurt, 100 calorie containers. But you don't know anything about that either. And am I selling this cheese or that cheese more because that's what I have or do people actually prefer it? Because it could be that you're selling what you have, not what people want. Are you selling more than your competitors, less than your competitors? She doesn't know. Amazon doesn't tell her. So it's kind of limited. Like dealing with Amazon is like dealing with, you know, like the Borg or something in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You know, they're huge. They assimilate you. You have no power. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how to divide customers, for example? I mean, like uh, one customer can buy a lot of stuff and uh, for a long time. Other customer can buy one time, just uh, cheap stuff, uh, nothing special. Uh, and uh, how to uh, find customers uh, who will be loyal to you and uh, buy a lot more, even to recommend to friends. I mean, like uh, your data can uh, help to find them. 
So that, so that is a pressing question, okay? If you were the CEO of a company, you'd be asking that question. How do I find more of this and less of that, right? So this is the way we did it for an alarm company and it, it, it actually works. So first things first, they had a base of like around 80,000 people and we of course found out the why. Mm -hmm. These are personal alarms, and we also found the why of the two large segments. There's a segment that is the user segment. They actually wear the alarm. And there's a segment that is the prescriptor segment, which is like, for example, if you were to give your dad this, we have to convince you that this is good. And then we have to convince your dad that he should wear it. So it's like two completely different things. And there's two whys. We found that. Then you go in, and because we have everything neatly organized by segment, we figure out, okay, so we got this and this and this. Once you have the email of these people and you have the segment, so these are your prescriptors, these are final users, this, these are male, this age, these are females, that age, these are males, whatever. Then you can go to a company like Personics and say, hey, I got this. I got 10,000 emails. And... I want to know where they belong. So Personics has uh, a very mathematically uh, precise way of grouping people that are very homogeneous in their behavior, no matter what they look like. So let's say, I don't know, pet owners. Pet owners are not defined by being men or women. Mm -hmm. Pet owners are usually defined by how much they love their pet and the degree to which their pet belongs to the family. There are extremes. There are people like my sister who consider her dog, you know, like to be almost like her son. And then there's people like me who have a dog and, you know, like we take care of the dog. We love the dog, but it's, you know, it's a dog. Take it mm -hmm. easy, right? So we know that. So you go in and you, you essentially take your base, which is highly disgregated, put it into personics and then figure out the two or three or four big categories or groups where they belong. And there's only that I know of two commercial uh, enterprises that do that, Personics and Claritas. Claritas used to be prison geo clusters, and now they are my best segment. And then, of course, Personics. Then you take all of that, and once you establish which one is your main group or the secondary group, then you can go back and email them find them in social media and all of that. So you begin by understanding the why, then which groups they belong, and then you take the small sample of the group and then you mark it. Every one of those small groups, by the way, is about three to 5% of the population of the United States. So each of those groups is like 5 million people. So you know, if you can find 5 million people who are very much like your best customers, you're, you know, you're in like Flynn, this is really good. The only problem is it is expensive and it is time consuming. So a lot of people don't like that because they only want to take the shortcut and they only want like an instant answer and there's no instant answers, but the answer is out there. We've done it. I've done it before using uh, another study called TGI target group index, which is um, a, a multinational study. So I've done that. Uh, I was part of a group of five people who actually created the very first mathematical segmentation model in the world. It was called Constellations. And I, cre I, I was part of that group. We, I installed it in Brazil, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Argentina. And it is amazing, really amazing. Once you establish, hey, I have this profile, and then I want all of these. Now, you can go into Facebook. And if you have, let's say, 10,000 names of your customers, so you're going to have the first name, the last name, and the email address. Once you have that, you in Facebook, you save it as an audience, and then you can create lookalikes. And depending on the degree of accuracy that, that you want, it will create uh, a huge group of lookalikes. So for example, this diet um, company that I was telling you about with Brit, we, we finally did that also to start advertising. We, we took her 96,000 people database we dumped it into uh, Facebook and we we created a, a lookalike base of something like half a million people. 
So now we have half a million people that look like our customers that we can advertise. I've done that in LinkedIn. In LinkedIn, you don't even need the name. You need the emails, but they need more emails and it takes forever. It takes about five days. So that is how you find more customers that are like your customers. The only thing is it does require a strategy. It requires time and it requires work. So not everybody is up to the strategy, the work or the time because people want instant gratification. I'm old enough that I don't have to have instant gratification. I'll spend some time actually doing something well. But yeah, it is absolutely utterly possible. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, instant. Yes. For example, uh, I think that we can divide uh, our uh, strategic plan for a short, medium and long uh, yep. period. Uh, that means um, if we learn our customers, how we can divide uh, this strategic plan of customer study, something like this? I, I like like everything, right? It it depends. I mean, let, let's mm -hmm. say you're a car dealer, right? Mm -hmm. So we actually made this proposal for a car dealer. We will do the research among their customers. And one of the immediate results in understanding the segments and the different cars that they sell is that not only would we guide their advertising in the right message, we could also prepare for their salespeople a script that they could use whenever somebody said anything, right? So let's say I came in and I'm trading my BMW 335 for something else. If I say, well, you know, I'm considering an Alfa Romeo, we would immediately know, well, you know, if if reliability is important to you, the BMW is more reliable. <clears throat> if styling is important, yeah, not that much. But like, if you look at the feel of the steering, for example, the BMW feels better and the brakes, but the Alpha, of course, is faster and it's pretty and all of that, right? So the immediate result is like the sale. Medium term, it really depends on, on what you want. Medium term is one of the most misunderstood things in the world. Are, are, are we talking six months or are we talking six years? So for example, medium term for a car dealer could be the period between your first year on the car and year number seven when you're finally trading in your car or something. Mm -hmm. So the medium, the medium term objective could be to keep you alive, thinking well of the car, having good memories of the car dealer so you return. So I have bought two cars from BMW, from South BMW in, in, in Miami. I, I bought a BMW and then I bought another BMW. The last one was so bad that I would never return to, to the dealer. So medium term, they really blew it. Mm -hmm. But medium term for a supermarket could be a month because you, know, you, you, you make your trips on a weekly basis. Long term is where we look at and, and me as a strategic planner is where I really spend time thinking. So long term, let's say Publix. Do I want long term for you to consider Publix for 90% of your grocery shopping? And what do I need to do for you to do that? That is, again, the why. I need to find out what is really important to you and begin communicating to you that I have it. So let's say that white aisles are important. Maybe I want to widen them a bit and then send you an email saying, hey, Natoli, um, you know, we just made our aisles wider and, you know, they have better light. And because I'm only 5'6", maybe they're not as high, so I don't have to reach up there, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so long term, what you want is to create an undeniable preference for your brand. And when, when I did the advertising for Colgate, that was the... I, I, I can tell you that is the medium term and long term strategy is you're going to go, you're standing in an aisle. There's like 10 brands. Why would you choose Colgate? Mm, because so of a recognizable brand. <laughs> no, but the other ones are recognizable. Crest is recognizable. Um, trust. I don't know. Personal yeah. experience. <laughs> exactly. You don't know. So it is... No, nobody like who knows, right? But it yeah. is the brand manager's only task to know maybe 
it makes you feel safe. You know, this is a safe decision. This thing is not going to destroy my mouth. Maybe it's price. Maybe it is the fact that everybody in your household likes it. Maybe you like the taste. I don't know. But you got to find out because at the end, what you want with Colgate is for somebody to pay a premium price for a really a merchandise that they could find for less money. So you got to make the brand worth the premium. And it's the same thing. So long term, all I think about is how do I change your attitudes towards my product so that it becomes the preferred provider of whatever it is. Shampoos is the same thing. I have launched, I don't, I don't know how many shampoos in, in, in my career. I stopped counting them. Uh, some of them have been real bombs, like Optimes, which is a Colgate shampoo in Mexico. I launched that thing. The creative was so bad. The creative guy never understood the real buyer. So it was horrible. But we launched, uh, we launched Viva Bar, uh, which is um, it's a real soap bar but for like dishes and plates, which is very strange because in the US we only use liquid, but you know, it's a bar in Mexico. And the creative guy really understood the whole process. So it was very successful. They, they really understood the mentality of the person who buys that bar. So long-term, it's always about how do I change the attitudes that are negative, reinforce the attitudes that are positive, so that my brand becomes the premium provider in that category. And you got to know your category re really well. But short term, it's always sales. Long term, it's always added to medium term. I don't know. Like, it could be anything. Yeah. You know, uh, when I'm listening to you, I feel that you share information about sales and marketing. But <laughs> they are different a little bit, you know. Yes. It, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, for example, uh, I, I, I like to learn about sales uh, uh, because I need to customize my marketing uh, plan. Uh, and uh, But, you know, in most cases, um, salespeople distrust marketers. They don't like their strategies. Uh, I don't know. Do you, Can you provide some insights how to uh, unite them? Uh, to create one cohesive plan? I, yeah, it, I don't know. I have always seen marketing in the support of sales. Like, mm -hmm. if you have all of the marketing in the world and you don't sell, you're not doing anything. I mean, yeah. honestly. So, for example, I, I'll take the best example, Colgate. Mm -hmm. I did the advertising for Colgate. Actually, when I arrived in Mexico the first time, my agency, Fulcon and Building, was like number six out of three agencies, okay? We were so low that we were mm -hmm. like down the chart. And my boss told me, listen, I will give you a bonus of one year of your salary if you can capture the buying again. Mm -hmm. well, one year of your salary is a lot of money. So I went in, I worked like crazy, and in less than a year, we became the preferred company. Food Con and Building became the preferred company for Colgate, and we were like the number one of three. So it was good. And I did it because I actually liked sales. So I approached the two salespeople or the two heads of sales. One of them is Carlos Cordero. We're still friends. We still talk to each other via Facebook. And this is like 1991 or something like that, right? Well, we still have good memories of each other. And the, the other one was a woman called Vilma Dardón was from Nicaragua, extremely intelligent woman. The relationship got so well that when the agency screwed up the launch of Optimes, my relationship, because I, I was essentially the media guy, but also like the marketing guy, and I, I dealt with the salespeople all of the time, the company came to me and said, listen, Marcelo, we really screwed up. We need to relaunch it. She has to approve another budget. Go talk to her. Get another $4 million out of her. <laughs> So, you know, I went over and, oh, yeah, Vilma, hey, how are you? Whatever. And she goes, like, you're calling me. Hmm, what do you want? I went, like, I want four million bucks, man. Let, let's just put it on the table. She goes, why would I give you four million? Your agency screwed up. I'm like, yeah, I know, but, like, the creative, we got rid of him, brand new creative, brand new insights. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Considering the fact that you could sell, you know, hundred million dollars worth of uh, shampoo in a year, four million, you know, it's it's money, but it is not that much money. So he goes, you know what? I 
I trust you because you actually like sales. You, you, you actually suffer what we suffer in a supermarket. So I used to go do store checks and the whole thing. So the only insight that I have is that marketing is in support of sales. That doesn't mean that you're subservient to them. And like, for example, many of the big discussions with Carlos specifically uh, in Colgate were about what do you think is driving your customer? And let me show you that you're wrong. Because to him, it was something like price. And, you know, Carlos, we, we cannot reduce the price all of the time because then we have no profits. So we got to figure out a way to make a premium because we can't really go around just lowering the price, you know, every two days. And it was the same thing for Johnson Wax. I relaunched Johnson Wax in Latin America. And I dealt with the salespeople in every country. Same thing with Navisco, by the way, which I relaunched also in Latin America. You dealt with the salespeople and all of the time it was the same thing. Share your insights of sales of what you think your customer is looking for. Let me see if they actually match the data that I have. I will share the data that I have, see if it matches what you have, but let's work together to really understand how to get that customer to pay a little bit more for your brand so you don't have to reduce the price all of the time. And it's a very successful partnership if it's two equals. You know, marketing understands the customers and sales. Sales understand the customers and marketing. And it, it works well. There's been occasions where it's really funny. Um, for Colgate, we had this uh, thing for the hair called wild root, wheel rot in Spanish. And I, I really understood the customer and I proposed that we used uh, little pulp magazines that are published in Mexico like a libro vaquero and stuff. They're really nasty. We're, we're talking about borderline nasty. And I actually had to sign a statement saying that they really met the uh, criteria of the community, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing, which, eh. but because of the partnership with the salespeople, it was very successful. They immediately got what I was saying, which is this appeals to that target and doesn't appeal to anybody else. It costs way less than on a cost per contact basis. And we're going to be there in those magazines alone. There's not going to be any competitors because nobody advertises in those magazines anyway. So the advertising is going to be a slam dunk. And it was. So, you know, be, because everybody from sales understood that I really worried about sales. I, I really want to make sales happy. So that's the only insight, you know, like, Talk to them, be part of them, understand their problems, and don't be don't be snobbish about it. You know, like I'm marketing, you're only sales. No man, sales is what really makes the company profitable. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, okay, the last question. Uh, just tell our audience how they can reach out to you, find you, learn more about you, and how you can help them to grow their businesses. Well, what should I do? Should I give you my email address or what? Uh, anything email address if 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 you want i can share in the description below but i usually prefer to share social media profiles websites because uh, well, my social media profile in linkedin is the one that i use professionally my facebook is just me it is not mm -hmm. professional it is me complaining about the world so <laughs> but my social media profile is in linkedin is m salup first initial mm -hmm. last name so M. Salup, you look for me in LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm absolutely reachable. And you can, anybody can send me a message. But by, by the way, I have it set, set up. So that's about it. Or if you know about Linktree, uh, Linktree, it's HTTPS, then, you know, for, you know, forward slash, forward slash, and then link, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, then forward slash M. Salup. And that, of, that opens everything I got. My photographic, because I, I am a photographer still. So my photo website, my Instagram, my Facebook, my LinkedIn, everything. But LinkedIn is the best one. It's Msaloop. It is my profile. I'm absolutely available. And then um, I'm really open to sitting down with anybody, giving them a free one-hour consultation. No pressure like this one. Friendly, no pressure, no bullshit. If if the product is not right for you, I'll be the first one to tell you. You know what, guy? Not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then it won't happen. 
<laughs> okay, I'll share all these links in the description below. You can find them. Thanks a lot. It's a big pleasure to learn all these insights, your stories. You know, yeah, <laughs> interesting stories. And uh, yeah, see you. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Anatoly. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, anything else I can do for you, please reach out. I am more than happy. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys, thank thanks for listening. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.